Good morning, church. Pastor Justin here. If you have a copy of scripture, open with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 33 this morning. As we've said over the last few weeks, maybe like some of you, I I have been drawn to the Psalms. I've been drawn to this uh, prayer book or this song book that sits at the center of our scriptures, um, looking for something that can give word to my cry, uh, uh, looking for some sort of assurance and trust, sort of reorienting my mind, um, remembering that God is, in fact, in control and that God has been with his people since the beginning, caring for them on their journey, even and especially in seasons of uncertainty and anxiety and instability. And we see, uh, as we read this morning in Psalm 33, that praise befits the upright. This is, this is appropriate. This is right for the people of God to respond, even in crisis, with praise and thanksgiving. Of course, the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament that we should pray without ceasing. And even in this next Psalm, Psalm 34, uh, that comes after the one we'll read today, we're called to praise at all times. And yet, In times of unique struggle, in in times of unique uncertainty or unique unrest, there is also a unique call, a unique call to respond with a unique kind of prayer and praise in the midst of a crisis. And in this sense, these ancient poems not only comfort us in our pain, which they do, they comfort us in our pain, as they should, but they also call us to a particular kind of response, a particular kind of praise. Now, you'll notice there in Psalm 33, there's no introduction, there's no author or context, but historically, the psalm, Psalm 33, has been connected to the psalm that comes before it, Psalm 32, and that psalm is attributed to King David. Many scholars note that this psalm was likely written in a time of a national crisis for the people of Israel, even maybe in the midst of a war. And so the context of this psalm is uh, that of a nation and a king in turmoil, unsteady, unstable, unsure of what's to come in the next season. And the writer begins, uh, I think very unexpectedly, with these words. It says here in Psalm 33, verse 1, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Not what you expect to hear, right? Not, not, the, not the call that you would expect in the midst of a crisis. In the, midst of the, in the midst of the chaos, the writer is calling his readers to shout for joy, to give thanks, to make melody, to sing, to play skillfully. One writer, uh, I'm sorry, one preacher I heard illustrate this, uh, these first few verses, the irony of these first few verses against the backdrop of God's people being in crisis. And he said, it's like this. It's like, imagine uh, that where you're at now, here at church on campus, that we are surrounded by an army of terrorists. Imagine armed men on the ground, closing in, circling the perimeter, weapons at the ready, And in response to that news, in the midst of that crisis, we decide to turn the volume up on our guitars, turn the volume up on the mics. Let's worship all the louder. Let's let's praise all the more in the midst of chaos. In other words, the psalmist is calling us to do something that doesn't feel very natural at all. He's calling us, in fact, to something that feels very counterintuitive to how we would naturally behave when our world feels threatened. And yet God knows that this is exactly what 
our souls need. Our souls in the midst of crisis were built to praise and give thanks. I think it's interesting, too, that in these first three verses, the writer qualifies and clarifies exactly what he's asking. He's saying, not only are we to shout, but we're to shout with, with joy. There, there's a deep-seated joy here that provokes this kind of response. Not only are we to give thanks, but we're to give thanks with, with music and instruments to, to play, but to play skillfully, to, to work at praising, to work at worship. And not only to sing, but to sing a new song, to, to dig deep, to find a new kind of praise for this new kind of pain. The psalmist is calling God's people to a kind of praise that requires work, a kind of praise that that requires us to dig deep inside of ourselves, a praise that requires creativity and discipline and uh, well-earned skill, a praise that takes time. This won't happen naturally. It takes work. It takes work to come up with a new song and a new praise in the midst of pain, in the midst of of chaos and crisis. And the psalmist says that this praise befits the upright. It's good for us. It's what we were made for. Charles Spurgeon says in commenting on this passage, God has an eye to the things which are becoming. When saints wear their coral robes, they look fair in the Lord's sight. I love this line. He says, a harp suits the blood-washed hand. No jewel more ornamental to a holy face than sacred praise. And of course, Charles Spurgeon is right. One more thing to note before we move on. The psalmist is calling his readers, and God is calling us in the midst of chaos, not only to give praise, but specifically to give thanks, to respond with gratitude, which seems so surprising. Of course, for many of us, uh, maybe for all of us in different seasons, our response to a crisis, our response to uncertainty and anxiety, is more often marked by griping than by gratitude, right? Some of you may be familiar with uh, Dr. Lori Santos. She hosts the podcast, The Happiness Lab, great uh, podcast. She also is a professor at Yale and has been for some time. And she uh, developed and teaches a class called The Science of Well-Being, which is now the most popular class in Yale's 300-year history. Brandy and I were listening to an interview with her the other day, uh, and she was discussing our current cultural uh, crisis related to COVID. She was explaining the findings of her research and the research of her colleagues about how to stay happy and how to stay healthy uh, in times of uncertainty and anxiety. And specifically, she was discussing the science behind gratitude, the science behind giving thanks, and about how griping, by contrast, keeps us less happy and less healthy. One article put it this way, that when we express gratitude, when we give thanks, our brain releases dopamine and serotonin, the two crucial neurotransmitters responsible for our emotions. They make us feel good. They make us feel happy. They enhance our mood immediately, and they make us feel happy from the inside. And so by consciously practicing gratitude every day, by giving thanks regularly, building the habit of gratitude, we can help these neural pathways strengthen themselves and ultimately create a permanent, grateful, and positive nature within ourselves. All the science confirms that gratitude, it it wires and fires new neural connections to the bliss center of our brain. It reduces fear, it reduces anxiety, it regulates the stress hormone, it reduces physical pain, it helps us sleep better, and on and on and on and on. The the science, this this new science is only confirming uh, this ancient truth of this psalmist that we were built for gratitude. 
We were built to give thanks. We were built for gratitude, not for griping. And so as I read this psalm, and maybe as you read this psalm and hear these words, we're confronted with the question, how are we responding? How are we responding to this season of insecurity and instability? Has, has, has my attitude, has my speech, has my, have my interactions been, uh, over these past few months, been marked more by griping or by gratitude? So how am I responding? How am I responding to the chaos? How are you responding to the season of uncertainty? God created us. God knows what we need, and he's calling us to, to dig deep within ourselves, to praise, to, to give thanks, even now, especially now, to come with a new song. But how do we do that? As we look around at what's happening in the world, how, how can we give thanks? Where do we muster that gratitude? On what ground should we praise or sing or shout? How do we dig deep to find that new song within our own hearts? The psalmist tells us in verse 4, For the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness. He loves justice. The whole, the whole earth is full of his steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breadth of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. What are the grounds for our praise, the grounds for our gratitude? In the midst of chaos, in the midst of a crisis, we can praise and we can be thankful because God is good, because God is upright, because God loves righteousness and justice. It says the whole, the whole world is full of his overwhelming, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love for his people. It's everywhere. Just, just look around. The psalmist is saying, just look around. His love is everywhere. Every, every breath we take is a gift. Every breath our children take is a gift. Every sunrise, every sunset, every meal, every night's rest, every small kindness, grace upon grace upon grace. His love shouts from every corner. And he is a God who simply speaks and universes are created. He can, he can gather up oceans in a shot glass. We can praise and be thankful because that's the only sane thing to do when serving this kind of God. It's the only thing that makes sense when we serve a God like this. One Old Testament scholar, Von Rath, he says that, that to not give God thanks in the midst of the crisis, to, to not see God as faithful, and to not respond with trust, obedience, and gratitude is a type of, in his language, a practical atheism. It's as though you don't believe at all. Because if you believe, truly believed in this kind of God, our lives would be marked not by griping, but by gratitude. Praise befits the upright. More than that, it's, a, it's essential for us to praise and be thankful in these times. Because that's the only way we'll get by. And the psalmist goes on. In verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all observes all their deeds. 
The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. The writer here, you see, is, is comparing and contrasting the power and the strength and the wisdom and the certainty and the stability of the Lord with that of everything else. Even the things that seems to us to be so powerful and so strong and so secure compared to him are not. The power of the king's army is nothing compared to the power of God. The strength and the skill of a warrior is nothing compared to the strength and the skill of God. The war horse is powerless by comparison. Everything out there that seems so dependable to us, it's, it's a flimsy house of cards compared to this eternally stable, immovable mountain of God's power and God's control. What he decides stands. What he ordains prevails and he's good church he's good to us we can look at him and we can we can respond with praise and gratitude because we know he is good and he's watching us that's why we praise that's why we give thanks political instability medical advancements financial financial security all all of these can be good and powerful but they along with everything else that has ever been or ever could be rests in the hands of a good and wise and sovereign God. He, he creates the world with his breath. And it says, His eye is on those who fear him. In verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So what does it look like for the people of God in the time of crisis? Look at verse 20. It says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. And so let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. The psalmist ends by reiterating this promise. The Lord sees you. Consider that truth for a moment, church. The Lord sees you. His eyes are upon you. And, and not only that, he is there to deliver you. He is there to, to save you, both spiritually and physically. Again, Spurgeon on Psalm 33 says, The Lord's hand goes with his eye. He sovereignly preserves those whom he graciously observes. He's not only watching. He's not only up there looking down at us. He is looking down on us. His eyes are upon us, but he is actively working to save us, to protect us, to deliver us, to be gracious to us because he's good. And so how should we respond? What does that response look like? In the, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a crisis, our souls must wait for him. That's the hardest part, right, church? Our souls must wait for him because he is our help and our shield. We're not betting on anything else. He is our help. He is our shield. The image of a shield here is interesting because when do you need a shield, right? You need a shield when you're at war. You need a shield to protect against the onslaught of violence. You need a shield to limit the wounds of an attack. And the psalmist is telling us here that in times of chaos, in times of pain, in times of fear, when we feel like we're at war, our God is before us. Our God is in front of us. Our God is there to receive the pain ahead of us and to protect us from the worst. And so we trust him. We praise him and we thank him, and we wait. So how are we doing, church? How are we responding to the crisis? 
what, what enables us to praise, what enables us uh, to give thanks, what prompts us and convinces us to trust in the Lord, what's, what steadies us as we wait for him. Listen with me again as I read these final verses. Consider the truth and implications of these words. Let me read them again. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. What are you hoping in, church? That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in a famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. So let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. You are seen, church. You are known. You are protected. Even when it feels like you're at war, he is your shield. And so we can trust him. And in trusting him, our hearts can be glad. We can be happy in him, even in the midst of a crisis. And so let me ask you this morning, church, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? What about God will you praise this morning? What, what mystery or majesty in creation can you consider that will help you patiently wait for a trustworthy God? What are you thankful for? What else are you thankful for? Take a minute. I encourage you even now to, to jot some things down, to, to take note. What are you thankful for this morning? One writer, Thomas Trask, said that one tremendous benefit of a crisis is that they can force us into a place of brokenness concerning our own strength. And they can lead us to a place of dependence on the power of God. What might God be chipping away from you this morning? What have you been depending on that just isn't that dependable? Let me pray this final blessing for us all. And we'll close with this. Verse 30, I mean verse 20. Let your steadfast love O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you are a God who pursues us. You are a God who sees us and knows us. You are a God ready to deliver us. And so, God, even in the midst of a crisis, we can praise and we can give thanks. God, I pray that we would find a new song for you that each of us would dig deep within ourselves and and think about what we're grateful for, think about reasons to praise you, and we would have a new song to sing. And so, God, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you'd be with us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.